Welcome to Leveraging Leadership, where we unpack the art of business leadership. I'm your host, Emily Sander, and today we have a guest episode. I'm super excited to share this conversation with Mitch Gray. Mitch and I talk about culture design and how a lot of organizations just skip that to their detriment. So what that is and how to espouse it across your organization. We talk about how to always be recruiting. So whether you're getting coffee, you're at the gym, you're getting your tires changed, how to always be on the lookout for bringing good people into your organization and teams. And then Mitch talks about what you can learn from fear and how fear can be a great teacher. So fear, other mindsets, philosophical approaches that you can use. So I met Mitch about a year and a half ago, maybe more now, but I was a guest on his podcast. And at the time I was doing a whole bunch of guest spots back to back to back to promote my first book. And Mitch really stood out as a great host, but also just a great guy. And he truly cared about what he was doing and the people he was talking with. And he was dynamic and engaging. He asked great questions and brought great energy. And so when I was starting my podcast, his was one of the first names to come to mind for a guest I had to have on my show. So I'm so glad that Mitch and I were able to connect and have this conversation. So I'm going to give you a quick bio so you know a little bit about Mitch, and then we'll jump right in. Mitch Gray is the founder of Mitch Gray Media. After spending over two decades leading teams as a business owner, manager, pastor, nonprofit founder, and community organizer, Mitch developed a strong passion for leaders and employees alike. Mitch has coached over 10,000 leaders and individuals across the world and has had over 5,000 employees spanning seven industries. Mitch is the creator and host of The Mitch Gray Show, as well as the author of How to Hire and Keep Great People and The Gathering Place. As an inspirational speaker, Mitch loves to inspire thought within audiences that empower them to consider deeper ways of living, leading, and engaging. People are the lifeblood of your organization. The greater investment you make in the people around you, the greater return you'll see. This vision is where it shaped Mitch's mission for leading a shift in the marketplace that brings, listen to this, the art of humanity back to leadership. Can we use a little bit more of that in this world? I think so. So without further ado, here's the conversation with Mitch. Mitch Gray, it is so good to see you again. Thank you so much for being on. Emily, it's good to see you. Thanks for the invite. And we, I think we're doing a podcast swap that we didn't realize was going to happen a few years ago <laughs> when you were on my show. So it's amazing. It, it comes full circle. I love it. I like when the universe conspires in that way it's for amazing. us. So. What's crazy is the day you emailed me to be on your new show, um, the same day I had someone else email me that has been on my show before. They were like, oh. hey, I want you to come on. And so, yeah, it was just, that week was a really cool, you know, kind of serendipitous week. So it all comes back, right? It all comes love back. Love it. Love it, for sure. Yeah, Yeah, well, we'll jump right in. And uh, I'm always curious how people kind of got started. So what did you think when you were 18? What did you think you wanted to do? I'll go back further. How's that? Okay. Um, Ever since I was 10 years old, I wanted to be a pastor, be a preacher. And it was at that young age that it was just like, you know, in my my work, then God kind of spoke to me and said, this is what you're going to be. And um, so that's what I set out to do. And um, was fortunate enough to do some of that, went to seminary and uh, actually worked in youth ministry at the time. And, and then uh, when I got out of seminary, it was kind of it's a it's a two year school. It's a four year school and two. So you're basically four to five days a week, eight to five. I mean, it's really uh, a treacherous kind of two years. Um, but and after that, I was just worn out. I was burned out. You know, my family was growing. Um, we had our first kid, second kid on the way. So it's like, okay, before I dive into anything else, I need to make the money. 
And I need to kind of find myself again because the dream had kind of become quickly varnished. And uh, so that's when I actually went into high fashion retail just to get a job. Um, six months later, found myself running a multi-million dollar store because I had done enough to earn their trust. Did that for five years, went back into ministry. And a few years after that learned, that wasn't for me. And so I kind of got to live the dream, found out it was a little bit of a nightmare. And then I took about 10 to 12 years to really figure out, you know, how do you take, there's still something in my DNA that said, I'm a spiritual guide, I'm a mentor, uh, kind of a facilitator of thought, as I like to call it. But what does that really look like? outside of church work and in, in my situation. And so that's kind of, I began a decade long journey of figuring out how that fits, how that can manifest really in the marketplace and for leaders and how I can still be authentic to myself. Um, you know, that's kind of one thing I'm always proud of myself that I, I think I do a good job at staying authentic. The downside to that is uh, it's very difficult to do things in life that you just don't want to do. And we were joking pre-show to some of that stuff, but it's even been, you know, seasons in life that I've kind of had to have transition or find other work, you know, live in places I don't want to live. Sometimes that authenticity can become a bit of a barrier, but I think if we hold true to that, you know, to our 18-year-old self or our 15-year-old self, it does lead us down a path that uh, is the best, um, even through trials and struggles. Yeah. That is quite a journey. Yeah, that was amazing. And it reminded me of the quote that you had mentioned before, which was, I think it was feet planted, eyes forward, if I have that yeah, right. Yeah. And that just yeah. like it sounds like you've got this all this stuff swirling around, but you have to stay grounded in some sense, but keep looking forward. So is that is was that your life mantra or kind of your life philosophy, or where did that come about? Quite frankly, I don't remember. Uh, thank you for reminding me. <laughs> I, I told someone in another conversation last week, I was like, sometimes I, you just say stuff. And and even sometimes to yourself, you're like, whoa, that did, that was really cool. I, I need to remember where I got that or <laughs> Write that what down. happened. But yeah, we, like, we teach ourselves. But um, I, I think that was probably, if I remember right, I think I heard something else uh, that was, a, and that's a, my kind of my take on it. I think someone said, you know, live where your feet are. Um, you know, you've also heard kind of the idea in the sports world of like eyes of fire, you know, heart of focus or heart of fire, eyes of focus, whatever. So I think my response to all of that was, you know, feet planted, eyes forward, because it's easy to look down. Um, and when the ground is shaky, it's easy to kind of lose our hope, our faith, our optimism. When the ground is really secure, it's easy to become dependent on that security the downside to that is security will always be pulled from under your feet. It's just how life works. And so, you know, really it's about, I'm going to be present where my feet are, but I'm going to keep lift my eyes. And that's another phrase that I use often is that we just have to lift our eyes from the situation, even though we're still present in the moment, but it's just those moments that you can't feel hopeless. It's those moments that challenges are facing you. Um, and sometimes it's small things. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, large things. And and it's just really saying, I'm going to be present now where my feet are, but I'm going to lift my eyes to the hope of the sunshine of, you know, the beautiful stars in the night or someone else that may be kind of guiding us and inspiring us. So it's it's really powerful thought, you know. It is. And it reminds me, to me, that means, you know, feet planted is grounding and anchoring to something real yes. and true. Because yes. oftentimes we get, uh, you know, swirled in our thoughts and headspace and all this negative chatter, which is easy to do. And then the eyes forward is 
keeping that greater perspective in yeah. mind. Hey, it's, yeah. don't get tunnel vision and just kind of look at the maybe bad situation you're going through now, keep a greater perspective of how this fits into the larger picture. So yeah, I love that. I love that quote. I, I went skydiving for the first time last year, a couple of years ago, I don't remember. And I, I, I want to get my skydiving certification. It was incredible for anyone who has a God, but you talk about learning uh, the real life example of having vision and really being able to see the overarching, you know, kind of work at play. Skydiving is the perfect example because you just, you launch from a plane and it's like, whether you're in the mountains or the plains, uh, land-wise, uh, you could just see forever. And you, we just don't do that enough in life, right? We yeah. can get on an airplane, but you're kind of limited in vision. But when you're just kind of falling and hoping that <laughs> gra gravity doesn't totally rob everything from you and your parachute works, but really, you don't have this sense of fear because there's a whole other thing we could get into about the brain and when fear kicks in, et cetera. Not, not for today, but you really don't have this sense of fear. And you're jumping with someone who's a professional, hopefully, and, and they really kind of give you that, you know, that stability. But at one point, you just kind of look up and you're like, oh, my gosh, this is what I've been missing. This is mm. what really kind of gives the hope. And so I love your idea of not having that tunnel vision. And you know, when we think about the stability of where we're placing ourselves and, and that feet planted can expand to, you know, who do we have around us? What environments are we in? What are we reading? What are we listening to? Are we listening to great shows like this or are we listening to, you know, trash TV or whatever? You know, it's really that idea of whatever we're feeding our mind, our body, our spirit, uh, our emotions is that becomes the instability or the stability hmm. of our feet, and that's so so important when we think about it. And, and and I often think we undervalue the input of what we're allowing into our space, and and that's re you know regardless if it's other information or if it's the people we have around us uh, or energetically, which is an incredibly undervalued piece of input that people just don't consider. It's like you want to be around people that give you energy and that will receive the energy you give them. Um, and those are just all things you can really use to keep your feet planted, especially when it matters most. I love that. And the idea of, of the environment that you put yourself in and what mm -hmm. you're taking in, like what you're watching on YouTube and what you're spending your time doing is so important, who you're spending your time with. Yes. And I think that's a great segue into culture design, which I know is your big focus area. And I love it um, in business as business leaders, as CEOs, as C-suite executives, we are in charge of designing the culture. I mean, we're in charge of many things, but part of it is designing a culture that people can be comfortable in and thrive in and grow in. Um, and so culture design is is kind of intuitive, but it's also a big phrase. Right. So just to level set people, how would you define, how would you define that? Um, culture for me is how we live, move and exist. Um, it is our very presence, our very essence. Um, you, you throw in our belief systems, our traditions, our ethnicity, our baggage, what, whatever <laughs> encompasses. To me, culture encompasses all of that. And, and I would actually go as far to say, regardless of how big or small a business is, a family, um, a nonprofit, whatever entity you, you're kind of apropos to right now, culture is the single most important piece. If you don't get that right or even try, and, and that's the real challenge, right, is so many organizations don't even intentionally give it a shot. I mean, it's just like happenstance. We're just going to bring a bunch of people together 
and let's hope it works. And that's see what happens. Yeah. Exactly. And that's kind of what people are saying, right? And so the problem with that is we know what the issues are and the results of culture are. We can see them. Um, it, it comes through language like we just can't find people that want to work, which we've been hearing a lot the last few years. It comes in language like, uh, man, I'm really burned out. I'm really tired. It yeah. comes in language like I've never used my days off. I heard someone say that, you know, they've worked uh. for an organization for three or four years, and but they're not actively encouraged. In fact, a lot of organizations discourage mm-hmm. people taking time off. And so when we start really digging into the language, it also comes in things like, man, that project felt so good. Or we've had such a, so it's both positive and negative. Really the issue and the challenges, and I was actually visiting with a, a general manager of an organization the other day in the restaurant world. And my, and my phrase to them was, uh, if you don't listen to the truth that's being told in every statement, then you're missing out on so many opportunities. And so uh, one example we were dealing with them specifically was um, kind of their training systems. And there's a lot of frustration on why they hire people and two months later they leave or, you know, they're frustrated. And it's like, okay, but let's back up further. Let's look at the language we're using. Let's look at how we're presenting ourselves to others and allowing others to present themselves to us. And it's like, yeah, but Mitch, what does that have to do with people getting the job done? Everything. Like every that those are the elements. Those are the building blocks. That is culture. And so when we don't intentionally design that, how are we going to show up? How are we going to speak to each other? How are we going to empower one another? How are we going to set a precedence on excellence and integrity and you know wholesomeness? In other words, bringing our whole self into the scenario each day. If those aren't intentionally created, then it's just left up to chance. And here's what I know from human history. When we leave it up to chance, we never get it right. It just doesn't work. And so that intention becomes really critical. And what I have found, again, businesses of any size, is very few of them sit back and go, okay, how are we going to strategically and intentionally design a culture that empowers each person to show up as their true, authentic, full self? That takes care of diversity. It takes care of inclusion. It takes care of opportunity. It takes care of personal development. If we ask that question and we're sincere, that becomes the foundation and the results become drastically different. But the question is, who's having that conversation? Well, what I heard in there was you're leading by design instead of default. And a lot of people just default to kind of their lowest common denominator is not the greatest. So if you have, if you're setting an intention, and I think even if you're at least trying to, and maybe you're not getting it perfectly, I mean, what is that anyway? But if you're setting an intention to do that, the the downstream effects are going to ripple through in a positive way. So I think that intention is is a good thing. And, you know, for people listening, if you are the CEO, or even if you're leading a department or a team or have a small group that you're just colleagues with, the way you show up and the way you lead in how you show up is important as well. Um, one thing that you mentioned that is a theme of your book, and by the way, I actually I do have your book right <laughs> Love here. Love it. <laughs> Look at you. <laughs> and Love I read it. it and there's like actual highlights in it. So I'll recommend this and link this. But you've done um, the work. You've done the work. <laughs> and listen, listen, I read a lot. 
I'm an avid reader. Of course, I read about business and leadership and culture. I actually got a lot out of your book. So thank you. Um, and one of the things that you mentioned and the themes that you mentioned was bringing your whole self. And I actually, early in my career, I wouldn't say struggled with this, but I just had the mentality of, well, when I go to work, I bring my work self. And I kind of, I wasn't pretending to be someone else. I wasn't trying to be something I wasn't, but it was one version of myself. And over years and over jobs and over time, I opened up and was like, hey, let's get to know each other as people and um, and make that, you know, deeper connection. But I just want to touch on that if people are like, hey, like, I, I'm fine, like not telling someone I just met at work my life story. How, to, how does one balance those things? Yeah, amazing thought. First of all, thank you for reading the book and supporting it. Um, you've been, I, I don't remember how we connected, quite frankly, but you've been a great supporter and I, I incredibly appreciate it. And it, really that becomes the challenge, right? Because we're conditioned to that school of thought. That's really where the birth of separating work and personal life, work-life balance, which, by the way, mm -hmm. is a total mythological figure that <laughs> we will not discover. Um, but that, but we're conditioned to all of that. We're really, at the end of the day, we're conditioned to all of our belief systems. And that's really the challenge of living this experience is, as children, we don't get to choose. As children, we're dropped universally into this family <laughs> dynamic, uh, into a culture, into of all of these belief systems, whether that's, you know, traditional or, uh, you know, um, our ethnicity or our religion or our philosophies. And then at about 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, we get really curious and we kind of start rebelling in some form or fashion against that. And then we get told that rebellion is bad. So we actually revert back to that's about the time we all get jobs. And the boss is telling us, you know, don't laugh, don't play, don't have a good time. You're here to work. It's just like this mundane, you know, life that all these older people are telling us that that's the right way to live. And my position is, yeah, question everything. It's kind of a funny story too. that. Um, back in 2012, I, I had two different businesses and uh, the economy of 20, two, 2008 through 2011 was really a struggle. And in 2010, we shut down two of our businesses. So I had to go get a more traditional job for a while. Um, and I did. And at one point during that job, I got written up for laughing too much. No in way. The yep, what? Dead serious. Laughing too much in the office. Wow. And then at one point, I received a raise and I got written up because someone complained that I had received a raise and they didn't. And so it was with a government agency. And so the way government agencies work is if you get complained against, then you get written up. And it's like, it makes zero sense whatsoever. So the point to that is, why in the world, in a culture like that, would I ever feel, you know, like courageous enough to bring my full self? Like, I've never heard like, of why? that. Laughing. Yeah, like, why would I? And so when we create these environments and these unwritten expectations, what we're, what we're doing is one of two things. We're either inviting people to bring their whole self, their authenticity, or we're rejecting their whole self and authenticity. And all we're getting at that point is a robot with skin on just doing the conveyor belt of work. And so your question was, how do we balance that? My response is, you don't. You be wise. And wisdom says, I'm not going to air my dirty laundry to everyone. Wisdom says, I know when to pick my battles and when not to. But that takes practice. And so the issue now we're having is 
We want to have a great culture. We want to welcome people, but no one's practiced this. And so I love what you said earlier about perfection. Remove the idea of perfection. Our word is awareness. Hmm. If you can focus on intentional awareness and teach others to do the same, what I've learned about human nature is everything usually works itself out. Like people are really smart and people (laughs) know when they feel permission or when they feel rejected. And people are usually pretty sensitive and smart to the idea that too much is too much. And it's about trusting those people. It's about trusting the team. And at the end of the day, if you can't trust people to be who they are, then what can you trust them to do? Mm. And that becomes the $64 million question that I think far too many people are not asking. Yeah. And I'm, that brings up so much. I have so many, so many questions in my head. Um, let me pick <laughs> one of them. Episode two. Episode two. <laughs> <laughs> this might be a two-parter. Yeah, part two. Um, no, so good. So good. Um, how do you, how does a leader bring that out of someone? And I'm thinking to, you mentioned kind of your, your calling. And I've always said, hey, if you can, if you know your overall direction in life and your meaning or vocation, and then you compare yep. that with your profession or what we think of as like a job you do today, that's the golden path. I mean, that's yes. that's serving a whole bunch of people and kind of being in, in who you're supposed to be. How do you help people find that? Um, and sometimes it's not a perfect one for one because sometimes, you know, you're doing a job and it's not totally aligned, right. but how do you f- help someone find that or get closer aligned to that? So these are the moments in conversations that I do feel a little bit hip- hypocritical because because we are always progressing and learning, right? And I think that's kind of the point to this whole experience. So the first thing to me is gratitude. That's learning to be grateful for where your feet are planted, for where you are now. And it really even comes down to even learning to be incredibly grateful for the moments in life that you just flat out do not enjoy whether that's business or you know personal or personal development or whatever that is an experience when you can learn to have full sincere gratitude for the moments that you hate most you're then able to shift your thought to go okay every day i can look for the gratitude when it matters most and so that's step one so what does that look like on a team i think it literally looks like in your weekly monthly reviews in your day-to-day conversation And what are you grateful for today? You know, I I don't have a team of people right now, but if I did, that would be an everyday question. I would literally ask everyone on my team that as best I could. If you're running a corporation and you have 1,500 employees and you have 30 department managers, then you ask the managers and challenge your managers to ask the people that they're leading. That automatically, just the question alone, raises the awareness. Someone may not have a response. If I ask you, Emily, hey, what are you grateful for today? Ah, I haven't really thought about it. Guess what you're going to do now? Think about it. Mm -hmm. And so when we just simply raise the level of awareness, even though that may not be verbally communicated, we're actually raising the energetic opportunity of that attraction for everyone to be closely connected because everyone knows. So that'd be step one. Step two would be what I just gave the example of. Actually have dialogue with the people around you. What are you grateful for? What's your biggest challenge you're facing right now? What opportunity you're excited about? Hey, what do you think your future looks like? Even outside of this company, what do you want to do? You want to start a business? How can we help you get there? And those are the vulnerable questions that you should hear often in the workplace. It may not be, you know, people asking about struggles or mental health or, you know, marriage status or, you know, whatever other personal items could come up. But it can be things like, how can we help you 
align best with where you would like to be. And I've never seen an organization that does that, that fails. It's like the organizations that are helping people align with their best self, even if it means pushing them out the door to do something on their own in a good way. They're always the organizations that have the stories of success. Why is that? Because we attract what we give. We attract what we're aware of. We attract what's in our conscious and we're putting out. And so when we can become kind of that magnet of beautiful attraction, all the things that we fear, they kind of just melt away. And I think that's what really is the biggest barrier for people is fear, right? It's like, I've never done it that way before. I don't understand it. Mitch, you're using all this language that kind of makes me scared. I'm not a touchy-feely person. By the way, those are all things I've had said to me. And it's like, but why not try it? Because I can show you really quickly. Here's how you try it. Just say thank you. Just say thank you to that employee that's stressed. Just say thank you to the people at the end of the day. And notice how their physical demeanor changes. And that's all the proof you need to take it a little bit further. And so I begin that shift. I I, I think that shift really begins with um, that permission to share who you are, how you would like to show up, how you would like to be communicated with, and then empowering those truths to allow you to perform at your best self. And what normally happens is the dominoes that need to fall kind of fall where they are best suited. Um, And that's not really up to us at the end of the day. We're just here to empower others and empower ourselves. Yes. Again, a treasure trove of of things there. So, (laughs) I mean, one thing I really want to point out that Mitch said is it's, it's even just asking the question and you might not get an answer and that's okay. In coaching all the time, I'll ask a question. You can see someone's like taking it in and they don't say anything. And then weeks or months later, Someone will come to me and say, hey, Emily, I've been thinking about that one thing you said, you know, months (laughs) and months and months ago. Like, And now I'm ready to talk about it, which is great. And then another thing is thank you and not having it be a conditional thing. Like, thank you, you're doing a job, but I need you to do this, this and this. Just thank you for showing up and being yourself today. Thank you for your contribution to the team. Full stop. Just stop talking. And that's what you're saying to them. So one of my favorite phrases, and I use this often, is say thank you and put a period at the end of the sentence. Mm. And when I was really learning to not give the condition, and by by the way, that happened to me through experience when I was leading teams, and a few of the teammates were really frustrated because I would say, thank you, but, mm-hmm. and there's actually a story in my book that's very similar to that and how to hire great people. I got that from my dad, by the way. My dad was an incredibly critical person, and it was like so-and-so, but you could have done better. And I didn't realize how much that shaped me until I experienced mm-hmm. other people telling me, you have to stop doing that. And so I would physically, verbally say, thank you, but a period. Like, like I would whisper <laughs> it to myself <laughs> until I got stop. into the, yes. And so that's just a really good reminder of just say what you're going to say, put a period at the end of it. People are smart, but we assume they're not and that they can't come in. Now, there is communication that you need to be very thorough. But for me, to your point, when you're when you're showing appreciation, put a period at the end of it. You can come back later. Just show the appreciation. And that's all you need in that moment. And I think another thing with this is getting the words right is like one thing, but it's a very small percentage of it. The mm-hmm. way that you're conveying your message with your body language and tone of voice. Yes. And I mean, it sounds intuitive, but if you actually feel what you're yes. saying, it'll just come yes. out of you. If you're like, okay, I need to say these things because in this scenario, HR wants me to say these things. It's like, eh, it's like going into robot land. But right. if you're like, hey, I'm, like, I'm a human talking to another human. I need to convey this information and I want to do it the best way I can. It'll just 
naturally exude out of you. And so you can trust yeah. yourself and um, to do those things. Um, one of the things you mentioned is, you know, sometimes you, you let people fly out of the nest, um, out of your company to another job, because that's what's best for them. And that's what's best for empowering them. If you're t talking to someone, and I talk to business professionals all over about career transitions and when it's right to move from job to job. Um, you know, everything has its season. And yeah. sometimes you've kind of done what you can do and, and you're ready for the next step. How do you, how do you determine when that is and how, how you should make that step? Mm. How many humans are on Earth? That's <laughs> probably how many answers. There Billions. Are. Yeah, it's um, you know, I think I think oftentimes it's a feeling. I mean, because for some people you might have to get into money. For some people you might have to get into you know education. I mean, there, there's all kinds of elements and scenarios. You know, if you're if you're in a, a relationship with a partner, you know that they're going to need to weigh in on some of that potentially, and so. There are kind of variables, but but I would say at the end of the day, for someone considering, is it time for me to make a change? First of all, if you're considering that, that's that's a truth. Like like if you're really entertaining the idea, then that's the truth. Um, being honest with yourself and and asking, okay, why am I considering this? You know, is it stress related or is it just like I feel like it's time to move on? Do I feel like the grass is greener on the other side? So I think depending on those responses, you know, if it's stress related, unless you are in real mental, emotional, physical danger, which unfortunately people do find themselves, then, then the answer is yes, get out as soon as possible. But if you're just feeling stress and anxiety because uh, of kind of unknown elements, I would actually encourage someone to potentially dig in a little deeper to that. Because in that scenario, until you really resolve the issue internally, you're going to carry that issue with you, even into your dream job or starting your own business. And so then it becomes the idea of settling that within yourself. And then if you can honestly look at it and go, yeah, it's time to move on. Mm -hmm. um, hopefully you're in, a, in an environment where people are encouraging you. you know, I always tell leaders, I want a team of entrepreneurs. I want a team that are thinking, man, one day I want to do this for myself because A, they usually make the best team members uh, B, they're usually high-performing team members, and C, there's nothing better than being, you know, regarded as an incubator for successful people. I mean, you'll never run out of employees in that situation because people right. want to come to you to learn. And so that would be lead to the next question: Have you learned everything from this scenario, from this organization, from this moment that you need to learn to move on? And if you can answer all those yes, then I would say, you know, jump. Um, oftentimes, again, fear holds us back. But that would be the next question is, what do you need to learn from that fear? Because there's something to learn there and then be able to take the jump and move forward. Yeah, I love that. And, and you know, I say top performers, you know, if you have a top performer, a superstar, a rock star, whatever you want to call it on your team, just don't expect them to stay forever. Like be grateful no, for the time no. they're on your team and then, you know, have them get as much as they can out of it and be yes. happy when they move on to, you know, what they want to do going forward. And, um, you know, I've had lots of, I've worked with people on, is it time to go or not in a whole bunch of different ways. Some people like spreadsheets and they like to list all the criteria huh? and weight them and do scores for different scenarios, which is fun. And then some people are like, give me visuals and do visualizations and let me do my gut check if it's time. But have I gotten all I can out of this role? Am I, you know, thinking of moving on for the right reasons? Um, is it fear-based, et cetera? So um, yeah, I love that. And then in terms of fear, I, I know that in your book, you mentioned mm -hmm. that fear is neutral. 
which I love yes. that phrase because I always talk about change being neutral. So when yes. unexpected change happens, humans don't like uncertainty. And so we tend to slap it's, a negative label. It's bad. It's bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I say like changes in itself, in, yeah. in and of itself is neutral because if I said, yeah. Mitch, you just want a million dollars, buddy. That would be a big yeah. change, but you'd probably put that as positive. So uh, right, change right, is neutral. Right. Yeah. So, um, but when I heard fear is neutral, I thought, oh, that's actually uh, goes along with the change because behind the change is the fear, is yeah. the fear of uncertainty. And I don't know what's going to happen. And so you mentioned that fear as a teacher. So how can we mm -hmm. use fear as a teacher? Because when people get scared, we revert back into our reptilian yes. brain where it's like clamp down survival yep. defense mode. So how do we use that? Yeah, I, I love that. And, and you're right. Change is so neutral. And to give people a teaser, we don't have time to get into it today, I don't think. But even thinking in terms of right and wrong, kind of alleviating those from your vocabulary, because, again, we're only measuring that on the result we're seeing we're totally relegating the journey that led to that moment. And so when we say, well, that's right, or that's wrong, it's like, okay, but what brought us to that conclusion? And when you really, again, go to that skydiving 12,000 foot view, you may actually see something in that journey that makes you change your mind. But if we never push into why we thought it was right or wrong, why we thought change was bad, then we never allow ourselves to get connected to that moment in time. And that's where we are with fear. Um, you know, I grew up in an environment that you prayed fear away. You weren't supposed to fear. Fear was a sin unless you feared God. I mean, all this stuff that we brought with fear. And so you grew up being afraid of fear, right? It's like, if I'm afraid something's wrong with me and I can't have anything wrong with me. And so I learned from the Zen Buddhist monk, Thich Nhat Hanh, this idea that fear is a great teacher. And you should invite fear in for a cup of tea and sit with it a little while and actually ask questions. Why am I fearing this? What do you have to teach me? What is making this scenario so much more dangerous in my mind than other scenarios? Sure, I won a million dollars in the lottery, but that, what does that really look like for my life? If I have a bad relationship with money, that's not a good mm, scenario yeah. because it's going to be gone before I can take the next breath. I don't know how to make, if I have a great relationship with money, I'm like, heck yeah, I'll be a billionaire soon because I'm going to invest. You know, so we judge everything based on, on the result of a scenario rather than living in the middle of the scenario. And so is fear uh, overtaking me because pa of past trauma? Is fear overtaking me because of ignorance, lack of wisdom and knowledge? Is fear overtaking me because this is new? I've never done it this way before. Is fear overtaking me because I just don't understand what's taking place? Just by asking those questions, you're like, oh, wait a second. That lets me hit the pause button and go, I need to walk around with fear a little bit. I like to say I need to dance with fear. Let it lead me and guide me into deeper understanding. And what's interesting is, for me personally, and I think anyone would say this who's kind of done this work, is when you really learn to empower fear and what I call surrender to it, you actually fear less things ah. because you understand that the moment you feel a vibration of fear, it's now a moment to learn. So by relinquishing control, you're actually taking back control because nothing overwhelms you anymore. And when it does, you're self-aware enough to go, hold on a second, breathe. It's going to be okay. And I can learn from this moment. And I know in a few months, a few days, a few years, whatever, 
it's going to make me a more complete, authentic person. So there's a lot of magic there that people miss. There's a lot of opportunity for growth there that I think people just skate over because we're taught to fear fear, you know, and that's really a, a I, I think it disservice to ourselves. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. It it's like uh skipping on the surface of something and then yes. just letting it happen over and over instead of going deep and like figuring out what's yes. really going on. So I love that. And I also totally agree with if you're resisting something, you're like, no, 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 it's bad. It's just going to get stronger. And so right. if you accept right. it, awesome. So we did a little detour on fear there, but I think that was great. Back <laughs> on uh, uh, career transition really quickly, um, recruiting. I love, I mean, you have so much good stuff in your book and you talk about it um, on your podcast, but two things that jumped out at me uh, were always be recruiting and look for good people in any scenario you're in. So if you're at a volunteer event, if you're in something in your community, if you're outside of work, always just look for people who are doing really well at their job or who are enjoying themselves. Can you talk a little bit about how people can can always be yeah. a recruiter? Yes, that is what I call lifestyle recruiting. I learned it through experience. Um, I told you I was with that company for six months, found myself running a multi-million dollar location, had zero clue. <laughs> how to recruit, how to hire. And I was expected to, you know, this was a really a flailing uh, store at the time. And so I was expected to really turn it around. And I did just based on hustle and raw talent and just doing what I knew. Um, it was a team of about 12 to 20, depending on the time of year. It was in retail. So seasonal time of year, we'd get up to 20, 25 people. But on average, 12 to 15 people. My first year, after my first year when tax season came around, I handed out over 150 tax forms in one year with a team of 12 to 20 people. So for people that can't connect the dots, that's far too many people to be going through. So my response to hiring and recruiting was just run them in and out. I just got to find <laughs> the best people possible. Fortunately, I hit a gold mine accidentally. And for me, that's when I learned what I call lifestyle recruiting. And, and it's really the idea of uh, everywhere I am, if I'm really going to be serious about my business or my work, then I should have the audacity and the courage to invite people into that, whether I'm inviting them into shop to do business with us or to potentially join our team. But the real $64 million question for people is this. When you see someone that is treating you well, really energetic, not energetic like they're just running rah-rah, but just positive energy, energy that makes you feel good. Um, when you see someone doing a great job at their work, maybe great customer service or whatever, Ask them one question. Hey, do you know anyone looking for a great opportunity? That's the $64 million question. That's it. What I have found is if they are looking for an opportunity, they'll whisper to you, yeah, I am, because they're at work, <laughs> yep. right? But usually, there's no thing a mentor taught me. Birds of a feather flock together. So if they're great at what they do, if they have great energy, if they have a positive attitude, if they have high aptitude, they're going to hang around people who have all the same elements. That's what you want on your team. And I understand sometimes you need to hire based on skill, talent, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, 90% of that stuff we can buy and train. Like I would rather hire a high aptitude person, positive energy that I spend $5,000 to go get a certification on. Then they know I invest in them and they know that I care about them and I'm helping them build for the future. It costs about $4,000 to turn an employee over any company of any size. And so the larger the company, the more expensive it is. So if I hire someone and invest that 4000 knowing they're probably going to be a great return on investment, why would I not? 
And so this whole idea of I need an accountant that's certified in ABCD. Okay, that's great. But what if their energy sucks? Yeah. What if they hate their job? What if they're great at marketing? Like all of these unknowns that we don't know, we're just hiring based on the sheet of paper and you know the qualifications. And not that they're not important. My point is, I think so many people are missing opportunities that are right in front of them. And so when I hear a leader say, man, I can't find people that want to work, I'm like, have you tried? Like, that's my first question. Have you really? Well, yeah, we post it on Facebook. We put it on Indeed. We use, you know, Monster, the local newspaper, or now hiring sign. Okay, so you really haven't tried. That's what you're telling me. <laughs> When's the last time you went grocery shopping? Oh, we just went last night. How many people did you see? I don't know. I just went grocery shopping. Yep, that's my point. When you went and got coffee, did that barista treat you well? Have you asked them if they know great people? When you got your tires changed, when you went grocery shopping, when you went out on a date, like I could go on and on, Emily, of opportunities <laughs> that are sitting right in front of us. So for people that want to know how to fix their recruiting problems, that's the question. And by the way, for the larger businesses that are running their hiring through HR, which many, many, many organizations do, I could go on that platform as well, teach them how to recruit. And that's where we're missing it. Is so many HR people are expected to hire, but they have no clue how to recruit. They're automating everything. And my point is, if you live in a metro area in America right now, you can go out and find 100 people in two weeks. So we just go to stinking Starbucks every day for a week. I guarantee you, you'll find 40 people to recruit. Because also, great people hang out there. Like You don't have to just recruit the baristas. There's great people hanging out at coffee oh, yeah. shops all the time. And so when we lift our eyes feet planted, eyes forward. When we lift our eyes to opportunity, we all of a sudden begin seeing everything we're missing. And so then it becomes the art of taking uh, the challenge of having some courage of trying a new way. And so even if if an organization, again, has 1,500 employees, but if they have an HR department of 10, and if they have 35 high performers and 40 managers, and they've taught all those people how to recruit, you mean to tell me, Emily, you can't? find the best people like you totally could. And by the way, I've had people ask, well, what if everyone started doing that? That's not going to happen because this stuff's been around forever. <laughs> and very few, I'm not the first guy to come up with this. I was taught it by someone else. And still that, you know, I have a friend that we go uh, shopping quite a bit together in clothing stores. We both have a background in fashion and I always comment to my friend. I never get recruited. Hmm. I'm like, you can tell I like fashion. I'm shopping at your store. I'm a nice guy. Why would you not recruit me? I should get recruited. Same with the gyms. I get really frustrated yeah. when gyms have a now hiring site. They have the best of the best people from a community going to their gym. Why do you have a now hiring site? Just simply ask every person, hey, we're looking for great people. I guarantee you, you would never have a problem hiring. But they don't. And so I just gave the gold. I just gave the gold. <laughs> so take it, use it, and I promise you it will work. Always be recruiting. Always be yes. recruiting. Just look for good people. Love it. Love it. Well, Mitch, thank you so much. Is there anything else you wanted to add or let the people know about for culture design or recruiting or connecting with people? How to hire and keep great people. Go get the book. You can Go find it book. anywhere. Anywhere you buy books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever. Uh, it's really your, uh, your, your guidebook for all the things we talked about. And um, go to my website, MitchGrayMedia.com. You can shoot me uh, an email there. We can connect or find me on LinkedIn, Mitch Gray. Um, I do have some opens for uh, uh, consulting. If anyone wants you know, to have a chat further, I'd love to do some discovery calls and, uh, and just help people. I, as we began the conversation, at the end of the day, yes, we all need to make money and it's good to make a lot of money. But at the same time, it's like, how can we help people 
uh, be less stressed, build great teams, and enjoy running a business. That's what I see through so many business leaders is they, they've lost the joy. Like the operations of it has just overtaken their life. And it's like, how can we give them that joy back? And those are the conversations I uh, absolutely love, love having. So please reach out, order the book. Um, we've got some new stuff coming very soon. So follow us on LinkedIn to be watching for announcements and all the fun stuff. So yeah. Beautiful. So if you want to lead with joy and lead by design, then please connect with Mitch and we'll have all of the links he just mentioned to his book and website and everything else in the show notes. But Mitch, thank you so much once again for being on. It was a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. Thank you, Emily. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, share and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 